The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Acts chapter 8. And I'm just warning you guys, it just, it goes straight in. Okay, here we go. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for meeting us here this morning, and I thank you for this passage, God. Um, It's real. It doesn't leave anything out, but um, we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of, of hearing this, we can also hear of how you work in it and how there is joy and there is restoration, God. So I pray that this morning we would be open to what you have for us, Lord. I pray that we would put aside our distractions and our biases, God, and that we would be open to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Janie. Good morning, everyone. Sun is shining bright this morning. I'm thankful. Um, just want to say first off, thanks for the the uh, the volunteers uh, every every week. It's been amazing, you know, from the start of the church. I remember this one week I was pushing this big old case. We had to bring these cases in, push this big old case, and I was pushing by myself. And I just remember praying. I was like, Lord, I don't I don't think I have the strength to do this. Like this is. It was like we used to wake up at like six thirty and be there and, and setting up. And and I remember like in that moment, it was like somebody came on the other side and started pulling, and um, and it was like this moment where God was teaching me this. This is a team effort. This isn't about you. This isn't about just your family. This is about all of us coming together as a body of believers and and, and joining in the work that God is doing. And so I was just so encouraged that morning, even though it was like really hard in that moment. It was like somebody came. And and so I just thank you again to all the volunteers who help out each week. It, It makes Grace City what it is. Uh, so we, we are uh, coming off of Easter last week. We've been uh, the past two weeks looking at Luke and, and looking at uh, the, the, the gospel message of how Jesus uh, came into Jerusalem and then, and then died and resurrected. And so last week we celebrated the risen Jesus. Uh, but this week we're going to be jumping back into the book of Acts. And so if you're just joining us, we've been going through uh, all of the book of Acts and looking at the story of the early church. And, and beyond the resurrection of Jesus, but, but what is the church beyond that? And so I think today is a, is a really helpful passage for us because, um, you know, we get really focused on and excited about uh, Easter and, and Resurrection Sunday, but what, what about after Easter? What about after the resurrection? Is there more beyond the resurrection of Jesus? And, and the answer is yes. Yes. And so today we're looking at Acts 8, 1 through 8. And 
This one, I think in particular, is really timely for us because it's a reality check. It's a reality check about what it means to be a Christian. It's not just all celebration, but there are going to be difficult moments, difficult times. And through those difficult times, God reaches people that wouldn't have been reached. And so the message for today is this, the gospel and the city. The gospel and the city. See, as we've been studying the book of Acts, we've seen that primarily in the first seven chapters, it's been focused on Jerusalem. It's in Jerusalem. Everything's in Jerusalem. But now what we're seeing is that in chapter 8, there's a transition where this young church becomes a missional church. A church that is on mission, that has a purpose. And it wouldn't have been the way that they probably would have chosen for it to happen, but it happens. See, in this, they are being sent. See, the Latin word for mission is the word sent. Each week at the end of service, one of the things we say is, Grace City, you're sent. Why? It's because there's a theology behind it. There's scriptural teaching behind that, that that we don't just sit around as Christians and just soak in, but we go out. We're sent people. So what was this early church sent to do? Well, remember back in Acts 1.8. This is an important passage in the book of, of Acts. Here's what it says. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus speaking. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Where did we say we started? We started in Jerusalem. Now what we're seeing is there's a spread. It's starting to happen now, just as Jesus said, in Judea and Samaria, then eventually to the ends of the earth. How do you and I know the gospel today? How do you and I know what Christianity is today? It's because it's reached to the ends of the earth. And it's still spreading to this day. One of my friends, Tim, who attends church here, is currently in Papua New Guinea. He's been a missionary there for years, reaching unreached people with the the message of the gospel, planting churches there. He's there right now. If you think of him, pray for Tim as he's there on this mission, as the gospel is spreading right now in Papua New Guinea. But you see, this mission, mission has not ended And as we know, this is around 2,000 years ago, but does that mean that the the mission has stopped today? What about the church today? And not just the church in general, at large, or just in Papua New Guinea, but what about today here in America? Well, I believe in many ways the Western church has gotten off mission. We said we're going to go send missionaries to different places, but what about missionaries here? What about a missional heart here? Do you know that we're one of the only couple uh, continents that, that is not growing as, as, in Christianity and in, in, in reaching people with the gospel? We're, the, we're one of the, the only ones. And so in many ways, we've lost our focus. What's happened is we started to, to focus more on building our own little castles or silos than building the kingdom. See, in many ways, we, we, we've, we've been so focused and fixated 
on building performances, big buildings, all of these other things that we thought that that's what it looks like to be a church. I've been asked before, they, they say, well, when are you going to become a real church? What do, I, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, you're going to have a building. When are you going to become a real church? I've been asked that. But what I want you to know today is that we are a real church. And as you look around, you're going to see people, and people are the church. And what we're going to see here is they didn't own any property. They didn't have any assets. They didn't have any of those things. But they had a mission, a kingdom mission. And it was much more than building a platform. It was making disciples. And in many ways, outsiders today, I think in in America in particular, are confused about what it means to be a Christian. And I believe that right now, this is very fertile ground to be able to share what it truly means to be a Christian. Because if you were to tell somebody, hey, I'm a Christian, and they were repulsed by that, and they said, ooh, I don't know about that. One of the questions that you should ask them is maybe, what do you think a Christian is? Because maybe what you think a Christian is actually isn't what a Christian is. And I would be repulsed by that too. See, what does it mean to be a a Christ follower? A Christ follower. Author and pastor John Tyson said this. He says that the person who can most articulately describe what it means to be human, what's wrong with the world, and and what will fulfill our deepest brokenness, our, our deepest longings, and what hope is there for the world, is the one who will win the world. And he says Christians, for the most part, have missed out on that. Why is that? It's because in many ways we, we do we believe that, that we have the message of what's wrong with the world? The, 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 the message that fulfills our deepest brokenness and our deepest longings? Do we believe truly that Jesus is the hope of the world like we celebrated last week as we said, Jesus is risen? Do we believe that? The early believers did. And I believe that in many ways, the reason that we don't see renewal, Christian renewal, where people truly understand what it means to be Christians and live with a a Christ-centered passion is because we don't understand what's been placed in our hands. We don't understand what's been placed in our hands because the gospel message answers those questions. And so our text today is from Acts 8, 1 through 8. And and just to give some background here, Stephen has just been brutally murdered by some religious authorities become the the first martyr in the Christian church. We see at the beginning here, and this is this is this is the part of the technical nature of who who Luke is, but but we see at the very beginning of chapter eight, it says that Saul approved of his execution. So note that because we're gonna be talking about Saul very soon and, and how he personally meets Jesus. But as we look at the history of the church, we find that many beyond Stephen died for their faith in Jesus. 
I saw a tweet this week by Jared Wilson, and, and it was a, this reminder. He said, he said this. This was on Friday. He said, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged by Hitler's Third Reich today in 1945. And here's what he wrote in The Cost of Discipleship. This is Bonhoeffer. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. There is a resurrection. But the resurrection is found in when we say, it's no longer my life anymore. Christ has died for me. Lord, you've called me to come and die to myself. And that's where life is found as a Christian. See, there are many who have gone before us who understood this. And so what, what do we see in today's text about what God has given believers, what he's given you and what he's given me? that he's placed in our hands. What has he given us? Well, we have, number one, a response to suffering. A response to suffering. Number two, a message from God. And number three, a church for outsiders. A response to suffering, a message from God, a, a church for outsiders. The first one, look at this. A response to suffering. Look at verses one through three. And Saul approved of his execution. This is Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So the first verse, look at the, the first part. It says that... Um, after Stephen's death, there was great persecution that came against the church. There was a resistance, but it wasn't just uh, an ideology of, of we don't agree with you, but there is a physical nature to the persecution that they experienced. And many times, in, in I believe in, in Western Christianity, we've either read over or skipped these types of verses because it just doesn't fit for us. And it's true. We lived in a pretty relatively easy-going uh, culture when it comes to Christianity. But here's what happens over time. Uh, sociologist Peter Berger said that every culture in history has provided its members with an explanation of human events that bestows meaning upon the experiences of suffering and evil. It says within the history of the world, different experiences of suffering and evil have always been explained in some way or another because they didn't have the, the medical advancements and things like that that we have. And they experienced all types of traumatic things that was pretty normative. I was talking with my wife this, this past week about the life that her grandmother lived. How many, how many children she's seen miscarried? How many, how many uh, children she's, she's had to see pass away from tragic events? Burying not one but two husbands. Her first husband died in her early 20s. She, her, her, her last husband just, just passed away a few years ago. Traumatic events, traumatic, traumatic, traumatic. But here's the thing. In many ways, 
As Christians, what we've been told is not the, the traumatic side of things, that things are going to be difficult or hard, but it's like there's this false gospel that's out there like, well, if you become a Christian, everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be better. You're not going to have to face as much suffering. That's not true. You might face as much suffering, even more suffering than others. But what Christianity gives is a response to the suffering. It, it equips you to get through the suffering. Not to escape it, but to get through it. One pastor said that after studying multiple sociologists and, and anthropologists, modern Western culture was one of the worst cultures in history at giving people equipment for handling suffering. Equipment for handling suffering. See, but here's what Christianity reminds us. That even in our worst moments, God is still king. God still has a plan. God still reigns. See, do you see what, what's happening here? This is probably something that the early believers didn't necessarily see at the time. But as Luke, who's an historian, goes back and is writing through the history of the church, he's making it very specific for us to see. Here's what he says. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. See, what they were fulfilling was the words of Jesus. Was it through, hey, you know what? I think we should go reach Judea and Samaria. I think that would be a good idea. I think we should go do that. No, it didn't happen that way. It happened through persecution. Now, is this the way that the early believers would have chosen? Probably not, but God is still at work in the midst of suffering. Here's what they went through. They just buried their friend Stephen and saw this traumatic execution. They've been dragged off and imprisoned. They've seen family members just split apart from one another. They've been scattered to new homes. They've probably lost most of their possessions. But what's their response? In 1 Peter 3, 15, it says this, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Why is that important? Because in the book of Peter, they were experiencing great persecution. And the first thing that we need to know is this, that there is a Lord that's seated on the throne and he is holy. What does this holiness mean? Well, he's always right. He's always good. He knows what's best. And that's hard to remember in the midst of persecution. So Peter was reminding the early believers of this, but he says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What is that a sign of? It's a sign of God working in your life. That I can come with gentleness and respect to the other person. Maybe they have different views, different beliefs, but I can come in and say, this is what I believe. 
because I've seen that it's true. I can't really explain to you all of it, but I, I can explain to you this, that God is true. God is real. God is alive. And they had this response in the midst of this deep suffering that they experienced. When you go through trials, when you go through difficulty, do you have a response? Do you have a response? Because these early believers were being prepared with this response as they were facing challenges. Second, a message from God, verses four through seven. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. I think when we read that passage, we want to focus in on the healings and all of that. But let me, let me focus our attention first on, on, on look at verse 4. It says that the, those who were scattered preached the word. Now, this preaching isn't like what I'm doing right now. But the word that's used here for preaching is the word, uh, that the same word that's used for evangelize. Now, this was a transition from, for, for the church here because what's happening is here, they're scattered to these different places, but they're taking this message with them and they're evangelizing the word. And what this is, is a, is a transition that happens in their life from just consuming to scattering and sharing. See, this is, this is a natural thing that happens in the life of every believer. See, you and I, were not just meant to sit around and consume all of this, but we were meant to go and to scatter and to share the good news. Because if it's truly good news, you want to share it. You want to share it. See, my wife, when she gets something, like if, if she finds a, a TV show, or recently we just found this comedian that we thought was really funny on Netflix, okay? Um, and, and so he's clean, he, he's got really funny jokes and very situational humor uh, type of guy. But, but when she found him, and we were watching this, and we were like, this is really good. She is telling everybody, do you have Netflix? Do, do, you, do you know this guy, this comedian? You're like, she's just telling everybody about it. And what's happening here is these disciples really believed that what they had was good news. And so they started to share it. It wasn't this forced thing. It was organic. It was something that came out from them. They said, I want to share this with people. Now, next in verse 5, it says that Philip goes down. Now, Philip was one of the apostles. And the question is, well, why did Philip go down? Well, it seems very specific here. But it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. As these regular people, wasn't just preachers out there sharing the, the message, but it was regular people, everyday people like you and me, just sharing about Jesus. Philip goes down and he starts to teach the people. Now, one of the things that was really important 
in the early church is this, that they didn't have a Bible like you and me. They didn't have this to open up. They didn't have the letters that we have that we can read today. They didn't have the book of Acts. <laughs> okay, they didn't have all of that. And so it's important for the apostles to go down and to teach these things because they were really focused on having sound doctrine, sound teaching. And what they, they do is, is we see that Philip is, is teaching sound doctrine, but he's also doing healing and miracles. Now, what we need to understand is this, that in the, the time of the apostles, there were healings and miracles that were happening to back up the message. These were things that were specific to the apostles. These were people who spent time with Jesus. That were the, the accreditation of this message. Now, there might be people today who say, well, I'm an apostle and I can do all of these miraculous things. I can be weary of that. Be weary of that. Why? Because today we have the Bible. We have the Word. It's been, there, there's historical evidence that can back this up. But there will be people who will try to deceive you and say, look at me, and we're going to talk about that next week. Simon the Sorcerer, he, he, we're going to see that next week. But specifically to the apostles, they, they were given an ability to heal and do miracles. But why was it so important for Philip to go down? The focus was on the message. The focus was on the message. And, and throughout the New Testament, there is an emphasis on having sound doctrine. Why? Because it's easy to fall off track. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Living in the age of social media, living in the age of Google, where I can just Google it, it's so easy to gather unto ourselves people that are going to tell us exactly what we want to hear. And if it's matching up with you, and you're hearing everything you want to hear, but it's not matching up with this, again, be weary. I remember I was in uh, New York. I was listening to this pastor. He was talking about how he uh, started this church and gathered all of these different addicts around and started this church. It was a low-income church just that, that, that he just loved Jesus. He's like, I'm just going to start this. And so they started doing this 12-step program because he wanted to see them healed from their addictions to drugs and all types of different addictions that they could have. But in this 12-step program, one of the questions he asked them is this. He says, okay, we talk about this higher power, right? We talk about this higher power in this 12-step program. But he asked them, he says, does your higher power ever disagree with you? And some of them were like, nah, he never disagrees with me. I guess I'm always right. He says, you know what? He says, then you're the higher power. You don't have a higher power. You're the higher power. He said, let me take a minute to tell you about the real higher power. And he tells them about the God of the Bible. You see, here's the thing. This isn't Philip's message. This isn't just the apostle's message. 
This isn't just the church that scatters message. This is God's message. And here's the thing that I know, that I confess before you. I'm just the mailman. I just deliver the mail. And any preacher that you look for, whether you land here at this church or you go to another church, if they don't see themselves as the mailman, they see themselves as the one who are writing the letters, look in another place. That's not sound doctrine. Friends, I'm just here to deliver the mail, and I'm just a fragile person trying to do that, but I'm here to point you to God's word. And I want to, to encourage you, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for it. Study, grow, discern truth from lies. We're going to see this later in Acts 17, 11, but it says this, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. You got this group of people that are examining Paul. So friends, learn to examine the word. Learn to listen to what's being said and say, is that Christ-centered or is that man-centered? Is that more about them or is this lifting up Christ? And here's what you'll find. It's that God's word isn't just words on a page, but here's the thing. God says, I give you myself. I give you myself. You're not on this journey alone. The early church was not on this journey alone. Philip was not on this journey alone. But God was with them. See, Jesus said that ultimately he is the word. The word isn't just knowledge, but a relationship with the living God. See, ultimately the message is the son of God who became flesh for you and me. It's always going to point back to Jesus. It's always going to be God-centered. Okay, so this is God's message. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about what God says. Lastly, it's a church for outsiders. See what happens. So as they're focusing on God, as God is doing miraculous things through Philip, this, this city is starting to change. The city is starting to change. So look at verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in that city. Don't you love that word Joy. There was much joy in that city. And this is important to note. The joy wasn't just for the believers. It wasn't just for the people who were scattered who were saying, oh, life's great for me. No, it says that it was that city. That city. See, this was a church for outsiders. This was a church that, that looked out at the people that, that were hurting and lost and lonely and it's saying, hey, we're here for your joy too. And what it does is it, it raises up the city. It lifts up the city. See, right now there are so many things that are tearing down the city. So many hurts and pains that are, that the people are, are, are just being driven down and torn down each day. Whether it be at your workplace, your neighborhood, wherever it might be. But does the presence of real believers, real Christians, lift up the city? See, here's the thing. We say that our vision is to be a church for a city that seeks new life in Jesus. And a part of that is saying, you know what? We are not here for ourselves. We're here for others. 
How are we making this community better? Having conversations about that. See, I sit on the the meetings and some of the, the things that are going on at Stanley here. Our city needs help. Our city needs help. There, there are people being trafficked in our, in our city. People need help. There are refugees that are in our city. People need help. What happens is when, when there's, when there's a, a dynamic movement of God, like we see here, healing comes over a city. Truth starts to pervade the lies. There's physical, emotional, mental healing. The, the city is being transformed. Why do we say, again, that we are church for this city? This is why. We need a reminder that we're not here to build up a little silo or a self-righteousness that says, well, we get to meet in a park, and so we're going to look at all the other churches who aren't meeting and, and judge them. No, that's not us. We're here to, to build up, to encourage and to help. See, this is a dynamic movement of God. And this wasn't a decision made by the apostles. The apostles went around a table saying, hey, look, look what we're going to do. We're going to go reach this, this city of Samaria. Now, this was in the heart of God. And listen, if, if something is in the heart of God, it's going to happen. And, and what it's going to do is this. It's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to make us uncomfortable. It's going to push us out of our comfort zones. That's what happens. That's how you know it's not from you. Because what's happening here is God is pressing into the sinful walls that have been placed up as humans and starts to bring light in the places that they would have never have gone before. See, God has sent his people to the Samaritans. Now, if you know a little bit of the history of the Samaritans, they were the people that were looked down upon. They were the people that, that, that were kind of shut out from the temple because they said, well, you're not really able to worship God. They were the people who, at the time, were looked at as lesser. But what's happening here is, as, as God is, is, is moving, is there is, is starting to become a racial reconciliation that happens. Because you know what's happening? They're starting to see healing in the broken places. Where people from other ethnicities and tribes start to come together and there's healing. And what's happening is, just like Jesus would touch a leper, now Philip is placing his hand on a Samaritan and, and healing him. See, where are those broken places? Where are those places that you say, you know what, I'm not going to go there. I, I would never go there. Because it's in those places, in, in, in those ways that God is going to say, you know what, in that, I'm going to bring healing and I'm here to bring joy to the city. See, we want to be so insular. Well, it's just joy for the Christians. It's just going to make it better for the Christians. But here, I want to be a church that says, hey, we're a people that love with no strings attached. With no strings attached. 
You know why? Because that's the gospel. That's grace. That God loved you and me, not because we did something to work our way to him, earn our way to him, clean ourselves up good enough to be with him. No. He came near to the broken. He came near to the hurting. He came near to the lost. And so now we see the church is starting to live like Jesus. Just some takeaways. How can we be a church for the city like this? Well, there's some personal questions. The first one is this. What's your response to suffering? If you were to think, okay, what what would happen if if I started to experience loss of of material possessions, if I started to, to, to lose things because of my faith? If there started to be like actual real persecution, like what would happen? Would I fall to the wayside? Would I, would I say, well, that Christianity thing doesn't really matter much? That God thing wasn't real because things are really bad in my life? The thing that we know as Christians is this, that you're not going to be saved from the storm, but that's God's going to be with you through the storm. He's going to be with you. And, and that's the gift of being a Christian, is knowing that God is with you. Brett McCracken says this. He says, to be a Christian is to accept the discomfort of a way of life inspired and empowered by a cruel, rugged old cross, a symbol of scorn and degradation. Everything uncomfortable about Christianity begins with and and returns to the cross. But here's what I want to encourage you with. That's not another burden or weight that's placed on your shoulders. Well, I just got to go beat myself up and just... Go, go do all these things to, to make my life terrible. No, 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 that's not what it is. But it, it frees you to say, you know what? My life is beyond what's just here and now. And I can live freely because of that old rugged cross, because of what Jesus has done for me. My life is now found in him. And so if I suffer loss, it's okay. I can keep going because I know he's with me in all of this. And so are you equipped like that? Church, we got to talk about this, right? Are we equipped for that? Because we will face it. But second, do you understand the gospel? Here's the thing. The gospel is this. It's not just some moral standard that you try to live out, but it's found in, in, in the word of God who is Jesus Christ. It's putting your faith, not in yourself, but in, in, in Jesus. It's not you doing more to get your way to God, but it's what God has done for you. We start with the gospel knowing that it's good news. You know what the difference between good news and, and, and just something else is, like just good works? It's that some, good news is something that's happened. Something that's happened, something that's been declared. Something that's been defeated that you couldn't have done. Why was last week, as we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, so amazing? It's because God defeated death. Our worst enemy has been defeated. And so now you can live freely with the weight off your shoulders. Saying, Lord, whatever you desire, whatever you want, whatever your will is. And you say, well, I'm I'm just broken. I'm, I'm too far from God. Here's the thing. 
Thomas Wilcox says this. He says, In all the scripture, there is not one condemning word spoken against the poor sinner stripped of self-righteousness. Let sin break your heart, but not your hope in the gospel. You've been so driven down and feeling so condemned by your own sin. Here's the thing. God has never turned away a weary sinner. He's never looked at a weary sinner and said, well, sorry, you just haven't done enough. No. See, that's how people act towards us, maybe. That's how maybe we've been treated or we even treat ourselves. But that's not how God looks at you. He never turns away a weary sinner. Somebody who says, I'm poor, I have nothing, God, please come to me, help me, give me guidance, give me grace. I need it, Lord. If you don't understand the gospel, one of the things that we're doing is this foundations class. And I'm telling you, like, it's over Zoom. Hopefully in the future we'll be able to do it in person. But I am at service to you. Like I'm doing this class with hopes that maybe there's somebody out there that, that's listening right now that says, I don't know the gospel. I've really been coming to church for, I don't really understand it. I have some questions. I need some help. That's why we're doing this. I don't think there's anybody signed up right now, but if you're one of the people that needs, and if it's only one person, I'll be on there tonight. RSVP, let me know you're going to be there, but I'll be there. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. That's why we're here. We're here to help you to grow in the gospel. And it might not all make sense right now, but, but that's why we're here. And I'm saying that as a person who didn't grow up in church, I didn't know all the Bible verses, and I felt lost. I felt lost. I'm like, is this thing, do I just have to kind of get my life together? Is that what Christianity is? No. It's grace. It's God's salvation. It's what Jesus has done for you, and it's a free gift given at the expense of the Son of God. And so if you don't know that, and you're like, man, how does that work in my heart? Join us tonight. Join me tonight. I'll be there. But the last one is this. Are you living on mission? We're in this uh, course did this course a few times with um, some people in this church. It's called Praxis. And what it is, it's just, it's called redemptive entrepreneurship. And, and, and really, I think in a lot of ways, even if you're not an entrepreneur, I think it's super helpful to go through it. But one of the things it talks about is, is just Christians and the way that we view culture, the culture around us. And this is what I'm talking about when people think of Christians, because this is what I've seen. Christians can fall into a trap of condemning culture. Oh, culture's terrible, and we just condemn it, and we just get as far away from culture as we can. Or we fall into another category of critiquing culture. Well, I'm going to engage it enough to critique it and judge it and say how bad it is. And that's how far Christians will go. Another one is we try to copy culture. I don't know if you, uh, in the late 90s, I became a Christian, and I remember there was all of these different uh, bands that were kind of out there, CDs. We listened to CDs at the time. I remember uh, they're like, if you like this person, then you're going to love this Christian version of them. And it was like no creativity. They were basically sounded exactly like this other band that was popular at the time. Right? So it's like, we're just going to copy everything that the culture is doing. Or you can just consume the culture. Well, I'm just going to just consume it, not, not really critique or do any of this stuff. But, and there's, there's certain parts of this that's, that's okay to do, right? 
But what was encouraged is this, to, to, to cultivate and create culture. And I can't tell you what that means for you, but, but, but here's the thing. The Lord knows. God knows. Just like the apostles didn't sit around a table and say, okay, we're going to go reach Judea and Samaria now. No, Jesus did that. Jesus was reaching Judea and Samaria, and he was doing it through difficulties and trials. The same thing is true for you and me, because what it's going to take is us coming under the lordship of Jesus and saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How can I go into this culture and cultivate and create something that would reflect what it really means to be a follower of who you are? Not just put a, a, a ichthus thing, like a little fish sticker or something like that on there and say, I'm a Christian. No. What does it look like for me to give myself and say, Lord, may I be a living sacrifice to you to be a representative of you wherever I'm at, in my workplace, in my business, whatever it may be. See, I think that's applicable to all of us. And so let me ask you, what's going to motivate us to be a people for the city? What's it going to be? Is it going to be me just giving this charge, saying, here's the plan, here's the strategy, here's what we're going to do to be a people for the city. Now go do it. No. It ain't going to come from me. And it's not going to come from you. It's going to be from God. And what's going to motivate you more than anything? Is it a speech? Is it you seeing a, a bunch of miracles? No. See, it's the greatest miracle that ever happened. And you can read about it and look at it all the time. Here's what it says in Hebrews 13, 12. It says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. It's when you see that Jesus was thrown out of the city, was spit upon, was looked down upon, suffered great harm, and was hung on a cross. And the reason he did it was for the people in the city. It was for the people like you and me who threw him out of the city and say, Jesus, get out of my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want your lordship over me. I'm in control of my life. And Jesus said, I'll go. I'll go, out the, I'll, I'll go outside the city. You can throw me outside of the city and I'll die. I'll die for you. And that's the thing. When we see that, when that becomes real to us in our hearts, when we see that Jesus, he did that for us, it's going to transform us in a way where we could have never been transformed by just some motivational speech or a list of to-dos and say, this is what I'm going to do for God. No, it's everything that God has done for us in Christ. And it's his plan. And it's his way. Will you live under that today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you that we see as the early church faced persecution and difficulties and challenges, Lord. Traumatic things. 
that they never stop putting their hope and their faith in you. And that's the only thing that's going to hold us together no matter what we go through in life. Whether we have a relatively easy life or a very difficult life, Lord, I pray that we won't be caught off guard and we'll be prepared to have an answer for the reason of why we believe. It's because Jesus is alive and it's real in our hearts. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.